my goodness. Good evening, man. Is this on? We working? All right. It's a privilege to be here. It's so cool to see that some of you guys work together. I mean, it must be like a like a family. I mean, that's awesome. That's great. I think that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to be, is like a family. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you notice, I'm very tall. I'm probably blocking the screen right now, aren't I? No? Yeah. This is a true story. My mom is 5'8". My dad is 5'10". Both about 150 pounds. What are they putting in our food? That's what I'm wondering. I'm 6'6", 270. Yeah. So, kind of strange. I'm like a Sasquatch. They have, they have Sasquatch sightings in Colorado. Bigfoot sightings? Usually happens on the weekends I go camping. Usually, <laughs> That's usually when it happens. I'm just kidding. Okay. Let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, please be in our midst. Please teach us. Please use my words. Please protect us from falsehood and, and wrong thinking. Please use my lips and my minds to build up these men. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. The title of my message is The Application of Discipleship. So, let me try this thing. First thing I want to talk about is application. Can you please turn to verse uh, 1 John 4.19? 1 Eddie, could you read that for us? We love because he first loved us. Right. We love because he first loved us. If you came up to me and asked me, why do you love God? My answer would be, he loved me first. That's why I love God. He loved me first. I came to know that God loved me through life circumstances. First, because I tried my hardest to rebel against him and to run away from him. And he he wouldn't give up on me. He He wouldn't leave. And no matter what I did, he was always there. He was ready to forgive. He was ready to take me back. And I tried my hardest to get away from him. I tried my hardest to disobey him. I tried my hardest to run away from him. There was things I wanted in life. I didn't want what he wanted. And he just wouldn't leave. And so I, I came to a knowledge that God loved me. You guys know I can't read that. Probably waste my time. <laughs> and Eddie, could you read Romans 5 8? Or, I'm sorry, Matt. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right. I learned that God loved me through circumstances. God showed me that he loved me by sending his son to rescue me from this evil place we live in and to prevent me from going someplace worse afterwards. The gospel of Jesus Christ didn't mean anything to me until I realized that God loved me first. I thought Jesus died on the cross, big deal. But when I learned that he loved me, it meant something. Romans 2.4, you don't have to tune in, you can if you want, talks about the kindness of God leading us to repentance. Or in some versions it says the goodness of God leading us to repentance. So after I found out God loved me, and the gospel meant something to me, I understood it, and I, it led me to Repentance. Let's me asking God for forgiveness. When I asked God for forgiveness, at that time I made a decision to submit to Him. When I made the decision to submit to Him, He put His Spirit inside of me, the Spirit of His Son. And it changed me. When he put the spirit inside of me, it gave me the desire to do his will. For it is he who works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God gives us the desire to do his will. It's not our own. When I had the desire to do his will, what I mean by do his will, I mean taking, think of everything that you want in your life. Think of your dreams, think of your goals, think of all the things that you believe are going to bring you pleasure and success out of life. Take that, you put it in a pile, and you throw some gasoline on it, and you put a match on it. You burn it. That's what I mean about the desire to do his will. I started to view the things that I wanted in life as garbage, as useless. And I had this, through his spirit, I had the desire to do what he wanted me to do. I started to realize if I was in charge, I messed everything up. And I was going to mess up everybody around me that I loved if I did what I wanted. I made the decision to do his will. When I made the decision to do his will, I started to ask myself, how can I do what God wants me to do? I started to look to the Bible. Most of us in this room believe that the Bible is the revealed will of God. It's God's instruction manual for life. And, (laughs) let me try this. And when I came to the Bible, I came across the commands of God. Can somebody read uh, John fourteen twenty one? I 
my readers back there. You guys want to read it? <laughs> Sorry. I can read. I can quote it. There you go. Jesus is speaking. He says, whoever has my commands, that's the one who loves me. How do we love God? Whoever has my commands and obeys them. obeys them. We love God by obeying him. He says, if you do that, I will show myself to you. We must remember that obedience precedes revelation. Most people want God they say, show me yourself and I'll believe you. And God said, believe in me and then I'll show you myself. Obedience precedes revelation. <clears throat> so, I'll go up here, commands. So, when I came to the commands... And I made a decision to do his will. I realized there were positive commands and there was negative commands. Negative commands, we, we all know, don't do this, don't do that, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't do, you know, the don't do's. The positive commands... Oh, let me back up. Um, it's pretty easy to know when you're breaking the negative commands. You know when you lie. You know when you steal. You know when you do something wrong. They didn't have, I, I had a way to judge when I was doing those and when I wasn't. The positive commands were a little different. I didn't have a way to navigate those, to know whether or not I was obeying God in those areas. Um, and I noticed that different people may applied the positive commands in different ways. For example, if we take the command to love your wife as Christ, Christ loved the church. Well, I bought my wife a house and cars, and she tells me she doesn't feel loved. Why doesn't she feel, you know? So how do I do that, God? Go make disciples of all nations. How do I do that? And so, the Bible, with the positive commands, it tells you what to do. It doesn't necessarily tell you how to do it. And so, it's the job of the believer to figure it out. That's what God tells you. He says, figure it out. You do it. Figure out how to love your wife. Figure out how to make disciples. Figure out how to do evangelism. Figure out how to love your neighbor. And to some extent, we have freedom in the body of Christ to figure out how we apply the positive commands of God. And so my message today is going to be on the positive commands of God. And it's, this is an application message. So it's going to focus on how to do it. It may or may not apply to you depending on your gifting. That's the fun thing about application messages. 
is that you have the freedom to go a different direction if you want to, and you might be right. The other speakers, you disagree with them, you might be in trouble. (laughs) They're pretty smart. Right? Every time I go in the bathroom, the short guy's using my, my stall. <laughs> What's going on? I walk in, you know, I'm walking there, you know, I'm on my knees, you know. You know, I look over, he's aiming up. What's that all about? They need to have a sign on there like five foot, and below, five foot two and below, this is for you. I look over him, and I'm on my knees, and I'm like, you know, he's aiming up. Why do they do that? I don't know. <clears throat> oh, legalism. Legalism is when I develop a conviction, and I try to force it on you as a command. If you remember when, with Jesus, this happened to him with the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees developed some rules about how to be holy and clean and pure. And, and they developed some rules called the traditions of the elders. And one of the traditions was you had to wash your hands before you eat. Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate. They come up to him and say, hey, why aren't you doing that? And basically what he says, I don't have to. It's not a command of God. You developed that on your own. It's okay, you know. He says, and you, and you develop other rules for yourself to disobey God's commands. So that's legalism. That's the danger of application messages. Um, hopefully I won't do that. Um, basically this message is for your consideration and your encouragement. To help you apply the commands of God. If you've chosen, if you've made a decision to obey the commands of God. I'm sure there's men in this room that have not made that decision yet. And for those men I would just say, remember... You cannot have a relationship with a person in authority outside of obedience. If you want a relationship with God, if you want him to show himself to you, make the decision to break your will and put your life in his hands. So this message is for the men who have decided to do that. If you've not decided to do that, bear with me. You'll see all the weird stuff Christians do. I will say this, though. The way I'm going to present discipleship to you today, 
There's been not one man in my life that has impacted my life in a significant way that is not practicing the discipleship the way I'm going to show you. So, although this message may or may not apply to you, depending on your gifting, your calling, and where God puts you and sends you and lays on your heart, it's big. Not one man has impacted me spiritually in a significant way that is not doing discipleship the way I am going to present to you. Let's come up for air. Is there any questions or comments or anything thus far? Anything I need to clarify or that I said was wrong? (laughs) Or anybody wants to discuss further? Going once, going twice. So, let's define the word discipleship. Let's open it up. I want to get you guys talking. How would you guys define discipleship? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Relationship. Relationship? Okay. Is the word discipleship ever used in the Bible? No. So it can kind of mean whatever we want. And Christians use it in different ways. To be disciplined. Okay. Anybody else have a definition for discipleship? Mentor. Mentor? Accountability. What's that? Pigeon. Pigeon. Okay. Christians use the word discipleship in a lot of different ways. You really, as you saw the diversity of answers, there's no real solid answer. So my goal is to, to, to show you how, the way I'm defining the word discipleship. <coughs> so let's define it. Does anybody know where the, main, the two main verses were the word discipleship comes from. Do you guys know? Pretty popular verse. If you'll turn to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I'm having some problems here. This is spiritual warfare right here. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is where the word discipleship really originates when Christians use this word in different ways. want to read it? No? Quote it? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, he's got it. it says, go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whoever I commanded you, and I am with you always, even in, unto the end of the world. Okay. Three things. Make disciples, baptize them, and then what? Teach them. Three things. I came up with this little uh, illustration. The guys in Colorado Springs liked it. Hopefully you will. To illustrate the spiritual life. So, over here, this side of the scale right here, you're you're a non-Christian. We're all born over here, by the way. We're all born spiritually dead. Over here in the middle is where you come to Jesus. They call it conversion or spiritual birth. And over here, you're a Christian. And, and you grow spiritually. The Bible says you grow spiritually. Um, 
Anyways. So here's a little, little illustration. Um, there's different scales of being a non-Christian. You have some Christians that are bad. You have some that are really bad. You know? You have some that are pretty moral. They actually may be better Christians than Christians. You know, they're, they're moral. They're good people. They love people. They, they help people. They're, they're great people. Um, over, uh, put them right here. Then you have people that are in jail for murder and, you know, theft and rape and, and things like that. So you have a little, that's my little scale for the non-Christian. Um, the Bible says when you become a Christian, you're, you're born with a dead spirit. When Jesus' spirit comes into you, he makes it alive. He raises it from the dead. And the Bible says at that point, you're like a newborn baby. And there's many similarities between a baby and a new Christian. Um, let's look at uh, just 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Let's just look at that one for time's sake. And I don't even know what time I started, Trevor. What time did I start? Okay. All right. Anybody want to read 1 Peter 2.2? 2, 2? The Bible says when you first become a Christian, you're a baby. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says you're a brand new creation. Uh, for, uh, John 3.3 3 talks about being reborn. Now, just as a baby grows with milk, the, ver- you know, the verse that he just read, it says that that's how we grow spiritually. Is that we need milk, we need the word of God as our food. The Bible also says that as you grow, you become mature and established. Can somebody read uh, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14? So it talks about mature and infants. Babies need milk. The mature need solid food. And spiritually, we can grow and be established and be mature. Um, let's look at uh, Ephesians. If somebody could read Ephesians four fourteen, And if you have NASB or King James, could you read Romans uh, one eleven and twelve. Sure, go for it. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. It's just another verse that illustrates that we can either be children who are tossed about or we can be established, solid. Um, Romans 1, 11 and 12. 
Yeah, right. It's great. Paul, Paul says, I long to see you. It's one of my favorite verses. I long to see you because I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. And if I impart my spiritual gift to you, eventually you'll be established. You'll grow. And guys, that's the way discipleship is. You have a gift that I need. You have a gift that I need. You have a gift that I need. And it's through the process of the body of Christ and people like you imparting your gift to me that I can grow. We need each other. We need to spend time with one another. It's the way God's designed it. And if each of you will share your gift with one another, you'll grow. You'll be established. That's what Paul wanted. That's what discipleship is. Men sharing their gift with each other, spending time with one another, helping each other grow. Um, Billy Graham was a guy that focused, had a gifting over in this area. Right? He held these big events in stadiums. He, he helped people to repent and to accept Christ. And then what did he do, what did he do with him after that? Nothing. He operated over here. He was an evangelist special, evangelism specialist I put up here. Dawson Trotman is a guy I'm going to talk about in a little bit. He was a guy that basically saw a bunch of dying babies on the street and said, somebody needs to do something with these people. Somebody needs to help them to grow. They need a parent. And he focused his attention on the second half of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so Dawson Trotman was a guy that focused on this area right here. Billy Graham was a guy that focused on this area right here. They're both important. We have to do both of them. That's where this two comes from. It's E squared. Evangelism, edification. Many times in, in churches that I go to, I see a lot of the attention right here. The attention, the, the attention of the body of Christ is, is getting somebody into heaven. That's, that's, that's just my experience. It might not be yours. Um, it's fun and exciting. There's rejoicing in heaven over it. It's important. There, and it's something that you can do in, in an instant, honestly, like Billy Graham did. There's a lack of focus on this right here. I know me sometimes when, you know, when I go to work and I see somebody's already Christian, I think, well, they're all right. There's no reason for me to talk to him. You know, he's, he's already Christian. But that, that, and you guys might do that too. That's not true. He, he needs somebody to help him grow. He needs somebody to disciple him. And there's a big ministry, there's a huge ministry out there for men that are already Christians. So... The way that I am defining discipleship in this message is this right here. I'm talking about, when I say discipleship, I'm I'm talking about spiritual growth for a person that's already a Christian. 
All right, let's come up for air. Any questions, comments? Should I make another tall joke? I can do another tall joke. Yes. Can, can discipleship begin on the other side? Depends on how you define discipleship. I'm just telling you how I, I'm defining it in this talk. Yeah. And like I said, Chris, Christians would say, a lot of Christians would say this whole thing is discipleship. I'm not meaning to separate him. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying for, for our talk tonight, I am referring to this area. I'm not saying this isn't discipleship. So hopefully I'm not coming across wrong. Is that what you're getting at? Just clarifying. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Any other comments or questions or thoughts? You want a tall joke? Okay. Oh, boy. My wife told me not to tell any jokes. <laughs> huh? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a weird thing when you're tall. People always want to remind you that you're tall. I, everywhere, almost every day. Hey, you're tall. Hey, you're, I didn't realize you were so tall. Hey, you're tall. Imagine somebody came up to you every day and said, hey, you have brown hair. Would you look like, yeah, stupid. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. That's what they do to me. They're afraid I'll forget. I'm not going to forget. Trust me. I have plenty of reminders that I'm tall. She's seen me on the airplane. I was a good reminder how tall I was. And John picked me up in the RAV4. My knees are in my face. You know? I'm on the airplane, five foot two in front of me. Starts putting their seat back. They want to take a little nap. They need that extra two inches, you know? I'm pushing on it, you know. No! She's looking around. She thinks her chair's broken. All her other people are putting her seats back. She just gave up. She thought it was broke. So it was me. I was holding it. So anyways. Yeah? Yeah. I was six point six foot seven as I was saying it. That's really what people are thinking. Yeah. So don't be upset about it. Uh, what would you? What am I supposed to say back? That's all I want to know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when I was younger, they say, "Yeah, do you play basketball?" Now I'm overweight, and they say, "Did you used to play basketball?" <laughs> I looked at the guy and said, no, are you a horse jockey? <laughs> I think I have more laughs than Lost Valley. So. All right, let's move on from the tall jokes. I, wanted to get, I want to talk a little history about discipleship. Of course, Jesus is our model. He's our model for everything. In the 1930s, there was a guy named Dawson Trotman. A lot of you guys might have heard of him. If you want to learn more about him, he's got a, there's a book about his life called Dawes, and it'll change your life. Um, and God used this guy in the 1930s to bring about a lot of principles and discipleship in the United States. 
Dawson Trotman was not a real goody two shoes kind of guy. I guess he, he liked riding motorcycles. He got in trouble with the law. And he wasn't a scholar. He uh, he was a truck driver in a lumberyard. There, I, as I understand the story, there's one night he got in trouble with the law, and a police officer looked at him and said, um, son, do you like living like this? And he said, no, sir, I hate it. And um, the, the police officer invited him to church. He went to church, and uh, in the Sunday school, they were having a verse memorization contest. And they divided up into teams, and they were supposed to all memorize these verses, and they were going to have a big test and a competition the next week. Well, Dawson went home, he memorized all the verses, came back, and he noticed he was the only one in his group who memorized the verses. And the first thing he noticed about Christianity is that people don't take it seriously. You know? It's not like sports. Sports, we take it seriously. So, you know, if you've ever been on a basketball or football team, you work hard. You motivate each other. You take it, you give it everything you've got. For some reason, in Christianity, many people just, they just don't take it seriously. And that's the first thing he noticed. So it was different. But he took it seriously. And he got involved in this church and he started to grow. And he started to memorize these verses. Might as well just do this now. He, he started, whoops. He started to memorize all these verses. And he started, he, st- he noticed I'm, I'm starting to change. Like these verses are doing something to me. Like these aren't. These aren't just words. These, these are changing me. They're, they're, they're changing my life. They're, they're, they're helping me to quit my old habits. And these are, you can look up these verses if you want later. I mean, it's not real, you know. Um, you know, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And uh, anyways, these verses started to change them. And he got more involved in his church. He started to lead youth groups. And he started to do evangelism. And he made a commitment to God. He said, God, I'm going to make a commitment to you that every day of my life, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Every, at least one person. And um, I, guess there was, I guess the way he did that was with hitchhikers. He would pick up hitchhikers in the 1930s, and, and, and share the gospel with him and lead him to Christ. Um, one night, he had his head on his pillow, getting ready to go to sleep, and he was like, oh, man, I didn't talk to anybody about Jesus today. He got up out of bed, went and picked up a hitchhiker. And uh, the guy immediately started to use some foul language. It was offensive to him. And as he kept driving he realized this was a person that he had led to Christ in his car about one year before. And he was disturbed because there was, although he had led this guy to Christ a year ago, there was no sign of Jesus Christ in his life that day than there was the first day he met him. And so he, he kind of, it troubled him. And he kind of had this epiphany. And he said to himself, he said, you know, I'm helping all these people. I'm doing all this work in the church. I'm doing all this stuff, but everybody I come in contact with, I help them this much. And then I move on. 
and then I help this guy this much, and then I move on. And he said to himself, what if I stop this? What if instead of helping everybody just a little bit, what if I just picked one guy and I gave him everything I got? And I taught him how to memorize verses. And I, and I woke up in the morning and showed him how to read his Bible. And I, and I prayed with him or I met with him for coffee. What if I invited him to my ho- into my home to meet my wife and my kids? What if, I, what if I moved him into my home if he needed it? And he had this epiphany that what if I just focus my attention on one man and raise him up spiritually? Oh, there you go. So where he's over here, and then one day he can help somebody else. And he basically says, what if I did that? Instead of just leaving them here, what if I raised them up? Um, <clears throat> so what if, what if instead of helping 100 people spiritually and gave them 1% of my time, what if I just helped one man and gave them 100% of my time? And then he started read, reading verses like the one we just read. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey me. 2 Timothy 2.2 The things you've heard in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men who will one day, what? Be able to help somebody else. They can one day teach somebody else. And then 1 Thessalonians 2.8 we loved you so much. We're delighted to share with you not only of the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He said, that's what I'm doing. I'm just sharing the gospel with people. What if I shared my life with them? What if I did that instead? And so he, st- and he started he started to go in the Bible and he's starting to see all this stuff about Jesus. And he said, well, look, let's look at Jesus. He had a ministry to the masses, okay? He had, Jesus had people that he saw one time. He taught them, he fed them, he healed them. And that was it. He never saw them again. Then he had the 12. These were the guys he spent all his his time with. 12 guys, three years, changed the world. Then he had the three. James... John and Peter. And every once in a while, he said, just you three guys, come here. The rest of you guys stay there. Just you three. I want you three by yourselves. I'm going to take you up on this mountain, turn white, show you dead people, and freak you out. Right? That's what freaked me out, man. Turned white and seen dead people. Then... He had the one. He had Peter. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Sometimes in groups like this, we talk about our key guy or our Timothy or Peter. You're one man that you're going to give everything to. And so he started to do this. 
Is there anything I can wipe this off with? I don't know. Um, he started to uh, he started to uh, apply this. The first, if you read the book Dawes, the first two men uh, that he started investing in was a guy named Lauren Sandy and Jim Downing. Jim Downing. A lot of you guys have heard of both those guys. Lauren Sandy went on to become the president of Navigators. He impacted a lot of men in this room. Um, and uh, Jim Downing is still alive. He's 103, still living for Jesus, still making disciples. Those are the first two men, Dawson, that I know of, started investing in. And um, anyways, I wish I could wipe that off. Um, anyways, those are the first two men he started investing in. Um, Lauren Sandy uh, touched Winston didn't you used to meet, meet with Lauren Sandy yeah Winston used to meet with Lauren Sandy one on one Eddie and uh, Matt's dad Mark Ramey used to meet with Lauren Sandy one on one and um, oh wow talk about take the shirt off your back huh he liked those tall jokes is what it was yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys can see this or not. Sorry if you can't. So I'll put Dawson Trotman up here. We've got Lauren Sandy over here. We've got uh, Jim Downing over here. As I said, let's say, you know, Lauren met with, uh, he met with Winston Parker. He met with uh, Mark Ramey. Um, Jim Downing, I don't know much of his history. Um, somewhere in here is a guy named Skip Gray. I believe Skip Gray was the guy that moved Walt Henderson into his house. Walt Henderson has touched all of our lives somehow. Um, you know, Walt Henderson, uh, he decided, Walt Henderson moved a guy into his house named, uh, Jim Webster. Jim Webster, uh, disciple a guy named Cecil Bean. Cecil Bean discipled a guy named Bob Walther. Bob Walther was a guy that was in the army with me 20 years ago that I got to spend four months in Kuwait with. He helped me read the Bible. Winston, well, it just ends with right there, I guess. (laughs) Winston touched many lives. But all these guys have kind of a, a spiritual family tree. And because they adopted this way of discipleship, of focusing on all your attention on one guy and raising him up like a father does his son, it has reached every man in this room. It's why we're here. Because of one-on-one discipleship. Focus on the individual. This doesn't come naturally for us, men. We always think big. Don't we? I'm going to start a Bible study. I'm going to plan a a church. In my church, they say, we want to, our goal is to reach Colorado Springs. So we're going to, we're going to plant churches all over the place. We're going to have this big meeting There's going to be music, there's going to be food, and 
you know, I'm going to go to, or I'm going to go to seminary. Or, or uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go over to be an overseas missionary. And I'm not saying if God's laying that on your heart, don't do that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you want to reach the world, if you want to reach Colorado Springs, if you want to reach Phoenix, you focus on one man. And you give him everything you've got. Watch it explode. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off small and it grows into the biggest plant. I'm a dumb handyman. But if I give my life to Jesus, and if I give my life to one man, I can be involved with God reaching the world. I can be involved in something special. I don't have to be a genius. This is the most exciting thing I've ever been involved in. And been doing this now for 20 years. It's amazing to see all the men out throughout the United States that God has allowed me to be a part of, you know? It's the most satisfying thing in my life to visit a man's house and family that, that I did quiet times with 20 years ago and to see his wife and see his kids and see the men that he's disciples. It's all because I gave him one-on-one individual attention for maybe three years. And he's still doing it today. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. A friend, one of the guys I discipled when I was in the Army, his name is Tim Gustafson. He, he had his leg blown off in Iraq. And he, he was at Walter Reed. And um, something about getting your body parts blown off opens you up to Jesus, right? So he, he, he goes there and he, he starts discipling guys. And he, start, he start, started a Bible study. And um, the, guy, the guy, Cecil Bean, he went to go visit Tim. And uh, he, he, Tim was all excited. He's like, Cecil, you want, just, everything's blowing up. This is awesome. I, I think God wants me to start a ministry here. And I don't advocate telling people what the will of God is. Cecil, I, he may be a prophet, I don't know. He looked at Tim. He said, Tim, God doesn't want you to start a ministry. He wants you to find one man. That's it. That's how you're going to reach the world. That's how you're going to change people's lives. And it's just, you know, it was like a slap in the face in them. It was like, how did I forget that? How did I lose focus? How did I lose, lose sight of the one man? Come up for air. Any questions, comments? You guys better say something. <laughs> questions, comments, thoughts? Oh boy. <laughs> Can I see the previous slide? Yeah. This one? Yeah, thank you. Okay, yeah. All right. Matt. If you're going to do this to me, I'm going to do this to you. Yes, go ahead. Thank you. So you're talking about uh, putting all your, like 100% of your investment into one guy. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't, like, limit you to just one guy. Yeah, yeah. You can can still be a minister. Yeah. And... Just have your one, like, a, a 
apprentice guy, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be dogmatic with the one man. It's more for illustration. Um, the, the point of what I'm saying is just focus on a, a few. Yeah. You know, some of us have a, a bigger shovel than others. You know, I have a, I have a spoon. Yeah. Um, no, I feel so you. for me, it's one man and three kids. Um, uh, but there, there's, there's other men that have a bigger capacity. Yeah, I can handle two, three, five, twelve, whatever. And would you, you probably like want to encourage, like have, like once you have your one, like encourage like more, right? I mean, it's not going to be as intense or intimate, but yeah. it's still like better, maybe. Yeah, you know, I don't know that we have that much control over it, you know. Um, God's the one that gives you men. Yeah, maybe it's just more about acting on the opportunities, I guess. Yeah. Yes, I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. You know, uh, God determines how many physical children we have, and I think to some extent, he he determines how many spiritual children we have. Yes. Hey, Sean. Um, When you're discipling a guy, you said that Christ pursued the relationship with us. When you're discipling a guy, do you pursue the relationship or do you let the other guy pursue the relationship as, as far as discipleship? Yeah. I think it might be different for everybody, you know, um, I'm going to talk about that in a, in actually in a little bit. Um, sometimes in the beginning stages, I'll pursue the relationship more just because it's uncomfortable and awkward maybe and scary. And uh, there might be a point where I maybe back off a little bit and see if they're really hungry or if they're just kind of doing it for me, you know, or whatever. Um, so I don't know, I have a, Every, every man's different, you know. There's some men doing discipleship, they have a gift of leadership. And I notice men are very attracted to them. They don't have to work very hard at this, you know. It's just, God, they're popping disciples out like candy, you know. I, I don't believe I have the gift of, of, a strong gift of leadership. And men aren't just flocking to me for advice and counsel. You know, so it may look different for different people. Um, so lots of laughs on that one. <laughs> so I don't know if that helps, but yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah. How's about um for for like say what are the fellows that are being discipled? I mean, is there a like is it just kind of like a sit back and listen and not worry about any discipleship yourself per se? Yeah, I, I've seen it different ways. My kids, my kids have little toys at home, right? There's some toys. All you do is push a button, and they, and they go by themselves. 
right? Like a little, little cars. There's other toys my kids have that you, they don't have the motor in them. They, you push them and then they stop. And you push it and they stop. And push it and they stop. And if men are like that. There's some men that are real motivated. And you kind of follow their lead almost. And there's some men that struggle with motivation and they got to be pushed a little bit. And so I think, I think every man is different. Um, for me personally, I, I like to let the disciple lead the discipleship process. I try to help them with what God has laid on their heart. Um, I found that works best for me. I know other men that have more of an authoritative role. And there's some men that like that. They say, tell, tell, just tell me what to do. And they like, kind of like, well, memorize five verses, you know. And Okay. Well, we're going to study the book of John. Okay, you know. So some men like uh, to do the leading, and some men like to be led. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what I found. Yeah, um, do you do you ever leave, um, are you ever not a disciple? Do you grow out of being discipled? What's your definition of a disciple? The, the same definition you're using. <coughs> what, did I, what definition did I give? <laughs> On the right side of the chart. Oh, okay. The Bible def- defi- def- defines what a disciple is. John 8, 31 says... If, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciple. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A disciple abides in God's word. John 15 talks about the requirements of being a disciple. Unless you give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you abide in me, you cannot be my disciple. There's a bunch of verses on the requirements of discipleship. I don't think you ever stop growing, and I don't think you ever stop being a disciple. Um, that is somewhat of a, <laughs> we didn't want to go there. That's somewhat of a debatable topic in the body of Christ. So, some, some people think you can be a believer and not, a, and discipleship's optional. Some people believe that if you're a believer, you, you are a disciple. So more specifically, being discipled by another man. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Oh, okay. I would suggest you should always have somebody, an older man in your life, discipling you. And I'm, I'm actually have a little illustration for that. Yeah. Yes, Trevor. Sh- Sean, when you say a man should be older, do you mean older age-wise or older spiritual maturity? I, I would say older spiritual maturity. Somebody that's just ahead of you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, let's move on. Dawson decided to fo- focus on a few men instead of a bunch of men. And he, and he decided, what I think the best thing to do is to teach them the basics of the Christian life. Everything has the basics. Math- mathematics would be an example. Um, you don't just jump into calculus. You have to learn addition and subtraction and multiplication. You play hockey. Sure, there's the basics of hockey. There's certain fundamentals that can you build on. Um, everything has the basics. Um, 
Dawson decided that the basics were basically the relationship with God and a relationship with people. And that was based off of the greatest commandment. Somebody came up to Jesus and says, what's the most important commandment of all of them? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. So Dawson decided that the basics of the Christian life were to have a relationship with God and a relationship with people. He was going to help people to have a relationship with God through the vertical thing here, the word and prayer. Having a relationship with God is not much different from having a relationship with a person. It involves talking. It involves listening. Imagine having a relationship with a guy sitting next to you if he couldn't talk. Imagine having a relationship with your wife if she couldn't talk. Some of you would like that. Some of you are laughing way too hard. <laughs> so, the way that God talks to us is through his word. The way that we talk to God is through prayer. And he came up with this illustration for the word. That uh, there's different ways to get in the word. Here you can hear the word. Talk about in Romans 10, 17. That's like going to church. You just, or what you guys are doing. You're just listening, right? You can read the word. You read in your He called that a daily quiet time. You can study the word. That's where you really get in depth. You look up words in the Greek. You look up church history. You really focus and study a chapter. And then you memorize God's word, which we talked about before. And then this other one, meditate. And so he would, as he's discipling guys, he said, these are the different ways to get in God's word in your life. And he would teach guys and do this with them. Yeah. I found as I disciple men, we're lazy. We always gravitate towards what's easiest. Right? What's the one easiest one up here? Hearing. <laughs> That's the one we always gravitate towards. You have to kind of push the guy sometimes to get him to do the harder ones and discover the value in the Bible study, memorizing scripture. We usually don't like that. Um the guy that led me to Christ, he, this is what he used to tell me. He'd say, he'd take his gum out of his mouth. He'd say, Sean, you want my gum? It's like, no, I don't want your gum. He'd say, come on, it's got a little bit of flavor left in it. I said, no, I don't want your gum, man. And, and, and he'd, say, he'd say, Sean, that's what getting in the Word is like. When you, when you read Christian books and you get other people's opinions or you listen to sermons and you get other people's opinions... That guy got all the flavor. He got something out of it. He grew. And he's just, he's just giving you the chewed up gum. There's still a little flavor in it, but you're not going to get as much as he did. Right? The real change in a man's life comes when personal discovery. When he can, he can get in the word for himself. It's like a baby. You know, they start off... You have to feed them with a spoon. The next, the next, the next stage is you, have, you just have to put the food in front of them, and then they can feed themselves. The next stage is they can go out and get their own food, and they can prepare it, and they can feed themselves. And that's what we're working towards spiritually: getting a guy to where he can feed himself. Right? And it's always a struggle. 
They always want the, the candy, the, you know, whatever. <clears throat> he also taught them that there was different ways to pray. Um, and there's different verses with this. Uh, part of prayer is confession. You confess your sins. Petition, you ask things for yourself. Intercession, you ask things for others. Thanksgiving, you, you, you thank God for what he's done for you. And, and you praise him. So, he taught men that to have a relationship with God, you had to talk to him and you had to listen to him. You had to be in God's word and you had to pray. And those are two, and those are two of the basics of the Christian life. This next illustration is one is a homemade one. Uh, me and a buddy of mine came up with this a long time ago. But uh, this is somebody over here referred to having a mentor your whole life, kind of. And this is an illustration. I don't have any verses to go with it. But um, it's, a, it's a good tool to use to see what you should always have in your life spiritually. Here's you in the middle. You should always have somebody discipling you. This is my... You should, it's good if you have brothers that are next to you. That Those are kind of people that are at the same place you're at spiritually, right? They're your running mates. And then you should have maybe a couple guys underneath you here that you're helping. I don't know. It's just, it's just a good tool. Ask yourself, do I have these in my life? You know? Most men struggle with the mentor part. <laughs> we want to figure thing, everything out on our own. We don't want to ask for help. Um, but God has designed us that we need each other. And you'll be great, greatly blessed if you go up to somebody and you ask them to disciple you and ask for help. And he doesn't have to be a genius. You'll watch. I've watched God use men in my life that I... Never thought he would, you know. As Winston says, God can use a donkey to speak to you if he wants to. Right? I'm a donkey. <clears throat> All right, come up for air one more time. Anybody thoughts, comments, questions? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Have you ever come across have you ever come across um, an instance where somebody was a disciple and then became a brother and then a mentor to the same person that discipled them? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen it in my own life, yeah. I would say some of the guys that I have disciples have surpassed me. It's <laughs> kind of humbling, you know? It's like when your kid grows up and he beats you, you know, beats you up. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's very humbling. But yeah, I, it hasn't happened to me personally. But no, I think some of the guys I've discipled in the past have surpassed me. They've grown up. I look up to them. Yeah. Yes. I know you was referring to a lot of stuff as far as like discipling with men. Uh, what about like the women and younger yeah. ones and stuff like that? I, I, was, I thought somebody might ask that question. 
Um, it troubles me sometimes. You know, in John, John, th- John 4, Jesus talked to the woman by the well. And um, I know in my own life I don't reach out to women very often. I'll just, I'll just tell you my own personal experience. I, I've, I've never had a man that has discipled me that has ever suggested I disciple another woman. And it's, it was for my own protection. Um, sexually, really. Because spirit, spiritual stuff is very intimate. And... Um, it's always been, I've always received counsel from men that discipled me that if there, God put a woman in my life that needed discipleship, that I kind of hook her up with another woman. That's just, I'm not saying it's biblical. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I can show you command. I'm just saying that's what I've always been taught and, and told. And, um, and, and I kind of see the wisdom in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. I was just, so like, as far as like the women that who are, talking to because obviously that's what would make sense because if you're going to talk to a woman that's married or you know even if you're you're married you're talking to a single woman about the bible and stuff obviously there could be some type of you know relationship that could spike which would you know yeah. go against the the bible and stuff like that so where would the so who would you have reach out to the women or children would you have like a, a more knowledgeable kid speak to a younger kid about the 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 truth and, and, and whatnot or would you have like uh, is it like your your spouse, or I don't know? Yeah, I mean, I, I try. If it's a woman that needs discipling, I, I would try to find another woman to disciple her. Yeah, uh, kids. I mean, I've never been told not to disciple kids. Um, uh, so I don't know. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yes. This is just a. Uh, reinforcement of your have women disciple women uh you take a look in the media today you look at many of the major pastors who have majorly stumbled in public or in the media and have had an illicit relationship with another woman and you look into the history and a lot of times those relationships started out with the pastor discipling or mentoring or having a, a woman as a protege and you're right they just they get those intimate moments and it becomes uh goes from something uh biblical to something unbiblical often very quickly yeah. okay so let's start this process up how do you let's let's say you're thinking to yourself i'm gonna give i'm gonna give what sean's talking about a try i'm gonna try it for one year I'm going to find one guy, and I'm going to give him everything I've got. I'm going to give him my free time. I'm going to, I'm going to think about, I'm going to, I'm going to meet with him in the mornings. I'm going to meet with him for lunch. I'm going to take him to church with me. I'm going to have him over to my house for dinner. I'm going to do Bible study with him. I'm going to pray with him. I'm going to help him memorize verses. Let's just say you're going to give this a shot, okay? How do you find a man? I think the most important thing is prayer. Asking for a man is kind of like asking for patience. God will just do it right away. All right? He jumps on top of that. <laughs> You're laughing. How do you know about that? 
Go home and say, God, give me a man to disciple. Pray that every day for 40 days and see what happens. Somebody came up with uh, an acronym on how to find a man to disciple or how to choose who you're going to disciple. And he says, I want a fat man. Faithful, available, and teachable. Some men are faithful. You invite them to something, they show up. You want to meet for coffee? Yeah, I'll meet for coffee. You want to go to church? They'll do anything you want. They're faithful. There's other men. Say, you want to come Bible study? They never show up. More often, it's like that. There's some men that are faithful, but they're not available. He said, they're just busy. they got too much stuff going on. And you're saying, hey, you want to meet for coffee? Oh, man, i got this going on. Hey, you want to uh, go to Bible study? Oh, i got this going on. And they're just not available. And then there's some men that are teachable, and there's some men that aren't teachable. Maybe they'll show up. Maybe they're available. But you get together with them, they won't listen to a thing you say. They, they think they know it all, and they're going to figure it out on their own. They've developed their own theology, and you just you can't get through this guy. He's, not, he's just not teachable. And so somebody along the way said, that the men that I try to disciple are faithful, they're available, and they're teachable. Those are the men I'll work with. Those are the men I'll give everything to. Jesus said in Matthew 4.19, Peter, you come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to teach you how to fish men. And some men say they have a fishing fishing pond. Some men fish in their churches, in their Bible studies. Some men fish at work. Some men fish in their neighborhood. Some men fish through their sporting events. Some men go overseas to fish. But... um, You'll find sometimes that God, God gives you a fishing pond. And there's, there's a place where you you kind of try to make disciples. When I was in the military, we, we it was the Sunday chapels. We would sit in the back of the chapel, and we'd look for a guy, a soldier, sitting by himself. And, and as soon as the service was over, we'd go up to him, and we'd invite him to play softball, to go to lunch, or to go to Bible study. And so we, our fishing pond was uh, was the chapels. In the military. They also had a, a, a thing called 20th replacement. It's the place where all the new soldiers go. They're, they're usually there for one to two weeks. But it's, it's an awesome place to fish because they don't know anybody. They're away from the military, yeah. They're away from home. They don't know anybody. And they don't have a car. That's a good fishing pond. And they want to make friends. Honestly, they do. So every Sunday after church... We go into 20th replacement. We go through the whole barracks. And we said, hey, we're going out to play softball. You want to play softball? Yeah. And, um, you know, I said, hey, we're going to Bible study. You want to go to Bible study whatever? We usually did softball. And we played softball with them. Then we would buy them Bible study. That was, our, that was our fishing pond. Great fishing pond. So, sounds like for some of you guys, your work... <laughs> The car wash is the fishing pond, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The car wash is the fishing pond. And looks like the lake is being stocked with fish, right?
do you do when God gives you a man? And I'm just going to list all of them. These are just ideas, guys. You know, this is application message. One of the one of the things I do with the guy that I'm discipling is I meet with him. I've been meeting with him every Monday from five to six a.m. in his driveway in my car. We and we pray for an hour every Monday. And so uh, this Monday, five o'clock. Well, we rotate houses. I'm going to pull up in his driveway. He's going to come out of his house in his pajamas. <laughs> we sit in my car, and I say, what do you need prayer for this week? How was your week? He looks at me. He says, what do you need prayer for this week? Well, how was your week? And we pray for each other. He prays for me. I pray for him. That's one of the things I do, I do when I, God gives me man. I also sometimes, at 5 in the morning, I'll, read, I'll read, do a quiet time with him. I'll read the Bible with him. Say, how about you read half the chapter? And we're sitting in my car at 5 in the morning, you know. Joggers are going by. They're getting kind of freaked out. <laughs> I think we're going to jump them. And, uh, um, you know, as you read the first half of the chapter. I'll read the second half of the chapter. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. And I'm there from 5 to 6 a.m. And then I leave. Um, you teach them to do Bible study. Teach them how to use a concordance. How to look up words in the Greek. How to do you know study study the Bible. Um, you take them out with you to do evangelism. Um, you know, I, I like to do I like to do evangelism in Home Depot parking lot. That's just where I am during the day. So I wait for a guy, you know, pushing his cart and he's putting away stuff, and, and I go up and I, I say, hey. Once a day, I try to share one verse out of the Bible with somebody. Can I just share with you one verse real quick? And so I, I just, I try to do evangelism at Home Depot. Um, uh, you can do workbooks with them. You've got workbooks on your table. Um, say, hey, you want to get to there for coffee? Let's go through this workbook together. We'll do a chapter a week. You can start off that way. Um, have them to your house for dinner. Um, Personally, I think the discipleship relationship has to invade your personal life. It has to invade your home. Um, besides, his wife or girlfriend probably thinks you're a religious nutcase, and he's hanging around some cult. And, and so if you have him over for dinner, it kind of puts the wife at ease a little bit. So. <clears throat> We're not a cult. Um, uh, you meet for him for breakfast, meet him at a coffee shop, invite him to church with you, have him in your house for dinner, Thanksgiving holidays, golf, sports, camping. Basically, you just invite him into your personal life. Invite him into your home. Um, Mark 3.14 is a verse I like. Uh, we call it the be- being, with him, being with him principle. Um, Something that you have to remember about discipleship is uh, mo- modeling as opposed to telling. More is caught than taught. Jesus didn't set up a, a classroom and say, okay, guys, this is what I want you to do. Go out and do it. He took them with him, and he showed them how it's done. And that's, that's the way we should do, I would suggest, doing discipleship as well.
any thoughts? I'm, gonna, I'm getting ready to close, guys. Do you have any thoughts or uh, questions or anything you guys want to get in the last minute? Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of tough, but, you know, I still just feel like I lack so much that the more I'm around someone, the more they're going to see my, my, my defects of character and where yeah. I fall short. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can honestly say I, I, I want this extremely badly, you know. You and want I, what? I want to walk with Christ and, and you know, live, live the commandments and things like that. But I fall short many times. And uh, I just, I worry about what they're seeing if they're spending a lot of time with me, you know, yeah. where, where I can be judged on many things on a daily basis where I'm yeah. falling short. So yeah. just do you have any input or thoughts on that? Let's see if the other guys have any input. What do you guys think about that? Go ahead. I would say just fellowship with uh, people who believe the same stuff that you believe so you're, you're not getting, like, corrupted with, like, that association. Yeah. I understand. I mean, I understand your fears. I appreciate your humility in sharing that. Um, you say, I'm kind of scared to disciple guys because I'm afraid I'm a, you know, yeah. They're going to see all my imperfections. Praise you for your humility. Yeah, go ahead. Number three. Um, Sean, I would just say maybe uh, as often as you possibly can, and Barty, um, point them back to Christ and Jesus as the real role model. You're just a facilitator. And uh, everything that you're striving for uh, is modeled was modeled by Jesus and his word and just continue to point them that way. And that's the, that's the safest seat in the house. Any guys, any guys, other guys have any suggestions for him? I mean, in, as far as my own life goes, um, when I got over the fear of sharing with another guy and asking and being ready for that, we learn as we do that, when we go through that process, the areas in our life that need to be, if there's areas that we're going, hey, I'm afraid he's going to see that, well, we already realize Jesus already sees it. And if it's point, if he's pointing it out to us, are we willing to say, God, I, I got to can you help me get rid of whatever it is that they may see? So we grow as we're sharing with someone else. As we get into his word, he's going to help us see what we need to change. He's going to shine that light and that dark spot on us where we go, all right, I got to give that up. God, I can't. There's something that I need to change. And so, and just being real. So I, um, I've been known Barty very long, but I've known him long enough that I'm the type of person that um, you have to show me your walk. I could care less about your talk and um, recognizing flaws in people um, who are Christians are wonderful and we all have flaws. And I think um, you can mentor to people even having your flaws and I would follow you, Barty, for sure. I'd listen to you. I'd, 
I'd, I'd have you disciple me anytime you wanted to because of the fact that I know he has his flaws, but he's real. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who's going to be real, who loves Jesus with all of his, you know, with all of his heart. And that's the most important thing. We're, we're never going to, we're never going to be perfect. We'll never succeed. Uh, we'll never do what Jesus has done. And, and I think as long as you're being real, that's, that's the most important thing as, as far as I'm concerned that I want to follow you. I, Craig is my mentor. Um, every day he's real, you know, and, and, and I see his flaws, but he's, he, he loves Jesus. And that's, and that's the most important thing. Does he have a lot me. of flaws? What's that? <laughs> I love his flaws too. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just to touch a little bit on what uh, Chris was saying, you know, you express to the guys you're discipling, you know, you see something positive in me, or sorry, you see something negative in me, that's all me. You see something positive in me, that's all Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. I just want to add on to that. Um, I feel like, like faith in God and like, or trust actually is a better word just trusting that he's gonna give you the right time with your disciple and that maybe you won't even like show your flaws or whatever just because you have like trust in him and that you're doing what he wants you to do like i feel that's pretty important too Like, maybe he'll just give it to you without any worry there. Because apparently we're not supposed to, like, worry about anything, even though that's pretty impossible for us fleshy people. (laughs) But, yeah, just trust in God that he'll let you say what you need to say and do what you need to do. Thank you so much for for sharing that. I'll get you. one of the best things the men has, that have discipled me over the years have done has been honest, them being honest with me, their struggles, and showing me that they're not perfect. That has helped me a lot. One of the men that discipled me, he was full-time navigator staff. He's been doing ministry for years. He looked at me one day and said, Sean, do you think when I go to church on Sunday, I struggle with undressing women with my mind and picturing myself having sex with them. Do you think do you think that happens to me? I was like, whoa. You're like, you know, you're like Moses here, you know. I'm like I thought about the question, I looked at him. And I thought about myself. I said, I bet you do. He said, You're right. I struggle with that. I struggle with it every day. He said, but I'm not going to let it stop me following Jesus. He said, that's an important thing. I'm not going to let my flaws stop me. How, how many of you have five children or more? If I should... <laughs> have those children helped you mature? Yes? Do you think you could have reached that maturity being single? 
Children force us to mature. They test our patience. They cry over nothing. Scream in the middle of, on the airplane, whatever. I think in the same way that having children in the physical realm and raising them forces us to mature as a person in a way that could never be achieved if we were single, I think discipling men and having spiritual children forces you to mature spiritually. And you will find that God refines you and helps you much more than you're helping the, the guy you're trying to help. Spiritual children force you to mature and grow just like the physical children do. I'm sorry. I, I, So you, you mentioned something earlier that I think is and certainly speaking to me about this issue of you said that obedience precedes revelation. Yes. And I think as we think about discipling another guy, there's a real danger, right, that we may not feel equipped. Maybe we don't step out until we feel equipped. And the problem is it keeps us from ever taking action where really sometimes maybe God is saying, dude, are you going to trust more in your own readiness and being equipped and being perfect? Or will you just take the step of obedience and reach out to someone and I'll meet you there? And I know that's something for me. I try to engineer it. I want to have the plan. I want to feel like I'm kind of ready now. And that means I'm kind of relying an awful lot on me. Maybe I'm not relying as much on him to meet me if I'll just step forward and begin to take some action. So it's speaking to me anyway that way. A little bit of a side note to that, or at least something that I'll put in where I'm at. Have you ever tried to have anybody golfers in the room? I'm a golfer. You ever tried to get advice from somebody who's a 25 handicap? Oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. Well, they stink too. And to me, when you feel like that you're in a position that you're not at the readiness, if you are have never experienced it before, you've not made a birdie putt, you've not done something like that, it's hard to step out and say, hey, this is what you need to do. And it's hard to be in that position when you, do, you feel like that God doesn't have you in that p- particular position. So to relate to your thought about what do I say, what do I do, are they looking at my life and thinking, hey, is he really the guy that I should be listening to? It's hard to listen to a guy that you feel like isn't qualified. So feeling qualified is very important. And how do you get qualified is why a lot of us are sitting in this room. God, you guys feel like anything God's telling you to say something? Dawson Trotman was the guy who his key phrases they use is who's your man? Who's your man? Who's your Paul? Who, I mean, who's your Timothy? Who's your Peter? Who's, who's the man you're investing in? Who's the man you're giving your life to? This is a way of doing discipleship that has been handed down to me 
I've applied, and I've seen many other applied, and many men in this room apply discipleship this way. You give your life to one man. Give him everything you got. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, give us the strength to obey your commands. Give us the knowledge and the wisdom to know how to apply them so that when we stand before you, we can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come share my joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you.